action. Welcome to Torn Stubbed with me, photographer Robert Gershenson, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. This is the first Torn Stubbs Recommend special where we'll be running down some movie suggestions and we're kickstarting things with a Pride special for Pride Month. So let's roll the first reel. Joshua, what's your first recommendation? My first recommendation is available on Netflix and it's a film called I Am Jonas. Have you heard of this film at all, Rob? No, but it's on my list. I Am Jonas is a French TV movie, originally made for TV. It's directed by Christophe Carrier, came out in 2018. Uh, not he didn't come out in 2018, the film came out in 2018. <laughs> well, he um, might have. <laughs> and it's about Jonas and it, it kind of flashes between him as a 15-year-old and him as a grown man. It's very much kind of a French drama where it's very much about the mood. It's about discovering the characters as you go along. I, I enjoyed it. It's, um, it's a film that I would be most interested in discussing rather than watching again, I would say. Like, I'd, I'd like to talk to people about it because I think it does some quite interesting things. Did you like it? I think so. It's just a very odd film because it keeps... The back the backstory of him as a fifteen year old it's it keeps what happens basically secret until the last fifteen minutes of the film. Um, right. So obviously, what's happened has had a huge effect on the present day Jonas and mm-hmm. why he's become this kind of tear away young gay man who goes out clubbing but ends up getting into fights with other gay men and he's a he works as a nurse. He's all he's very. Um, Someone says towards the end, he says, oh, you're very frail. And he, he does have that very frail feeling to him. So it's gripping because you're trying to find out, you're trying to figure out what's happened in this, in his past that has made him into the man that he is today. Um, but once you find out, it's all just a bit, oh, oh, okay. So it's, it's just sort a bit, of underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you, the, re- the big reveal isn't actually that interesting. But everything leading up to is? Yeah, because um, Felix Maritau, Felix Maritau, French actor, he he was in um, 120 beats per minute. He oh. he's really good. He was also in a film called Sauvage or Savage, I think it was called over here, where he plays a a gay male gigolo, a homeless homeless gay male gigolo. It's a fantastic film. It's on Amazon Prime at the moment to rent. I really recommend checking it out. It's fantastic. And um, but Felix Maritau just has this magnetism. He's just such a fascinating actor to watch. Like he's he's scruffy looking. He's um, he's kind of like tattooed. He just has like this. He has like a tr- like troubled eyes. Like you just feel like you want to sit down and have a cup of tea with him and just be like, right, okay, what's go- what's going on? <laughs> troubled so, eyes. Yeah, he's really great. I actually I interviewed him a couple of years ago and he was lovely. So he's obviously nothing like that in real life. Is it more of a film that you appreciate rather than enjoy, or is it sort of a mix of both? It's yeah, I did enjoy it because it's. It is very well made. It's, it doesn't feel like a TV film. It feels like, mm-hmm. you know, it should be in the cinemas. You know, it looks beautiful. It's really beautifully shot. The acting is, you know, exquisite. Like everyone in it is just fantastic. It's It does some unusual things. Like 
I couldn't really tell if it was trying to play around with cliche, but not necessarily doing it entirely successfully. So when Jonas is in school as a teenager, he's a bit of an outsider. He doesn't really have many friends. And then this new kid arrives called Nathan and they get very close and then a romance develops between them. Um, and Nathan has a scar on his face and he tells this story about how he got it. And it's very much kind of a, I was abused as a child kind of story. Is it a victim story? Kind of, but then it does. it turns out that that isn't necessarily the case. And so I was like, okay, does that mean that this is the, is this Christophe Carrier, the director writer? Is this him playing around with perceived notions of, you know, what makes you gay? Oh, it's obviously abuse Mm. makes you gay kind of thing. And is it playing around with that by saying, this is the bullshit reason he has the scar, but then the real reason is something else entirely. I feel we're past that. We're past Mm. that kind of thing where LGBT stories, especially the G, have to be framed in sort of the victim genre it's absolutely done and dusted it's boring yeah and i read a couple of reviews around this and somebody on letterboxd called it gay misery porn which is (laughs) absolutely a thing that we've endured as like a viewing community is watching all these really quite overwrought and psychologically damaged stories about being gay if the purple patch of 2017, as you call it, purple patch. taught us anything, is that we don't have to have that that victim aspect. Yeah, absolutely. We can move on from that narrative. And actually, films like Love, Simon, you know, Joyful, even though Love, Simon was still a coming out film, it did it in such a different joyful way. I think it was kind of excusable. But yeah, yeah. Call Me By Your Name... The, the drama wasn't about oh god i'm gay what am i going to do with myself i'm just going to kill myself it was about this very sweet relationship that develops between two men or and again you, you could know. also argue that it's it's actually a pansexual or a bisexual film yeah that's true yeah and it's 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 not ageist as well you know they're obviously a, a slightly different generations there's a lot that's great about that film so that's i am jonas directed by christophe charrier yeah, if you watch it, let us know, because I would love to discuss this film. It's interesting. Get on the Twitter. Get on that Twitter and tell Joshua if you've seen that film. My recommendation is Disobedience from 2017, directed by Sebastian Lelio. Disobedience is a British film. A respected North London Hasidic rabbi dies, and then his estranged daughter, Ronit, played by Rachel Weiss or Weiss, comes back from New York, where for the past 10 years she's been... Uh, sort of forging a career as a successful photographer she's not religious um, in the slightest so when she comes back her presence among the ultra orthodox Jewish community is a bit of a jarring one also coupled with the fact that her departure a decade earlier the ramifications of that are still being felt now so Mm. she sort of rekindles friendships with her old friends, Esty, played by Rachel McAdams, and Dovid, played by Alessandro Nivola. And everything gets reignited and there's sort of life-changing consequences. I think this film came out and it sort of disappeared a little bit. It was kind of under the radar, but it's such a it's such a treat because it's it's so different in its approach to being an LGBTQI plus film. Hmm. It, it's very much the L. It's very much a lesbian film, but it deals with more than just sexuality. It deals with 
loyalty and it deals with sort of religious aspects to it it's really quiet there's a lot of tension and it's very tender in the mm. sort of very subtly powerful way it's very low-key Rachel Weiss is brilliant Rachel McAdams is phenomenal oh really I always think she's really underrated Rachel McAdams because she's she is really funny like in Mean Girls she's really really funny but she's also got those real dramatic chops as well so it's great that she's yeah she's been able to do a role like this I kind of stumbled across Disobedience. It was on Prime. It's not there anymore. So you'd have to rent it from iTunes. And it, it really, it surprised me how how powerful it is because it doesn't try to be anything it, it, it isn't. It's not super showy. It's just very down to earth. It's like a, 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 a kitchen sink drama that deals with very extreme circumstances i mean Mm. being very religious is of course an extreme thing being lesbian in those circles is obviously very jarring and very extreme so Mm. you've got these two camps sort of butting heads and you you can't see how they're going to fit together and Mm. that's where that's where the the drama comes from is it quite glamorous because they're they're very like glamorous actors no it's not it's not mm. glamorous at all. And in fact, it was it was a little bit odd seeing Rachel McAdams in such a in such a low key, not super high glam setting. And her yeah. English accent is spot on. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I oh. mean, it's great to see Rachel Weisz doing an English accent again <laughs> yeah. after so many American roles. It's almost a little bit odd when she does doing english accent mm. but she seems to be having a bit of a renaissance a rachel renaissance oh, yeah. at the moment with this and the favorite. favorite yeah and wasn't she and my cousin rachel she was really good in that as well and the lobster the lobster one of your favorites yeah anything by yorgos lanthimos yeah she's had she's had a very strange career but i think she's kind of she has finally found her spot you know i think she produced this I love that people like uh, Reese Witherspoon are going into the years an actress, you know, in a in an actress's career, the years after 35, 36, going into your forties. Traditionally, yes. that's where you stop having jobs because there are no roles, and and for decades, actresses have, and actors have said there are no roles to play when you're this age. But yeah. people like Reese Witherspoon are doing so great in the in like a trailblazing way. By going, that book was fucking awesome. I'm going to turn it into a film or a limited TV series. You know, there are characters out there for us to play. We just have to find them. Yes, so that's I mean, you've been watching a lot of Reese Witherspoon recently. Oh God, Little Fires Everywhere is really good. You know, it's 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 melodramatic and it's very it's it's just just such a great show that is so timely because it is about even though it's set in the 90s, it's still about relationships between black and white characters and the tension that can arise from that in this very specific environment which is white picket fence america it's just great i really recommend it so that was disobedience directed by sebastian lelio joshua what's your second recommendation my second recommendation is an amazon prime film and it's called Dating Amber. It's an Irish drama. It's brand new. Like it came out in at the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. So it's brand new. 
and it's directed by David Frayne, and it stars Fion O'Shea, who was in a great little gay film called Handsome Devil, um, and he was recently in Normal People as well, the BBC drama. And he plays, it's again in the 90s, um, he plays an Irish teenager who's struggling with the fact that he's gay. And in order to hide that from all of his very judgmental, loudmouth classmates, he notices Amber, played by Lola Pettigrew. She is also um, on the outskirts of high school society and is also gay. And they decide to have a fake relationship in order to like shut up all the kids in school who are calling them queer and gay and making their lives a misery. But obviously it's not quite as simple as just having a fake relationship because they are also coming to terms with their own sexuality and exploring that individually or together in the, the go out gay clubbing and stuff. I just loved it. I thought it was so sweet. I watched it this week and I absolutely loved it. It's really Hooray. lovely. It's a really, really sweet movie. And I can imagine someone who is closeted stumbling across this film and it being their defining moment for themselves because it yeah. doesn't play into the victim it plays out like a feature length episode of end of the fucking world mixed with sex education somewhere yes. in the venn diagram of that is dating amber because the the lead characters are very much of this new duo thing that these tv shows seem to have you've got a very strong ballsy girl coupling up with a sort of a quiet shy introverted boy and mm. they kind of have adventures in suburbia yeah and it's clever because it, even though there is that the idea of the trauma of coming out the trauma of you know figuring out who you are in a very restrictive environment um, it doesn't tip into that trauma cliche because it's not about, it's not really about the bullying that they suffer. It's about their own internalized homophobia. Yes. Eddie Fionn O'Shea is very much, he's putting so much pressure on himself. Like he's trying, he wants to get into military school in order to make his dad happy and essentially running away from the fact that he's gay because in 90s, is it Northern Ireland? It's, it's like, it's just not okay. Yeah, that's how it skirts around the cliche because it focuses on the gay characters, not the people victimising them, which is great. I mean, those characters who are doing the victimization are hilarious. There's a lot of <laughs> great side characters in, in the John Hughes sense or even like the side characters in Mean Girls who aren't in the plastics. Yeah. Whereas Mean Girls... And Heathers have a lot of quotable lines. There's not that much quotable zippiness in Dating Amber because it treads very carefully between being quite hilariously funny and really sort of touchingly emotional. Yeah, I, I thought Tracy was so funny. Tracy, like played by Emma Willis, who's the girl who he tries to have a he tries to kiss her and then but he doesn't touch her boobs. Like she's trying to get him to touch her boobs. He doesn't want to. <laughs> And Sharon Horgan is brilliant. You know, she's known for catastrophe and playing very spiky, outspoken characters. And she could have just been the mom in this. But she's like any mum, I think most mums would know that their kid is gay. And she, I mean, she, she kind of 
maybe subconsciously suspects and doesn't figure it out until she finds a bit of paper that he's drawn a ton of cocks on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was no internet, was there? So how are you supposed to find your cocks? You, you draw them with yeah. like amazing accuracy. <laughs> maybe he'd seen super bad. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of a film called Get Real that sort of came out in the late 90s had the sort that of same familiar. vibe to it and that's not a bad thing it's a really good thing what is that what is get real a film where schoolboy is struggling with his sexuality oh set in like london suburbs or something it's from like 98 or 99 i had it on mm. vhs oh there you go what's happened to a beautiful thing um i don't know i was never a fan of it anyway that's that's the first gay film i ever watched because my pen pal sent it to me on videotape <laughs> that um, girl again yeah she had all the money didn't she are you sure are you sure it was a girl and not a really rich man <laughs> <laughs> so that's dating amber directed by david frayne my second recommendation is a film called the way he looks from 2014 <gasps> oh my god i love this like. film <laughs> i found it I, I stumbled across it again on bfi player it's directed and written by daniel riberio he developed it from a short film of the same name yes it was on the boys on film compilation by peccadillo pictures well it would have been because he won the iris prize in 2011 iris prize is a film festival that takes place in cardiff every year and 10 short films compete for a winning prize of a £35,000 budget to make their next short. So he won it in 2011. He developed the short into a feature film and he released it in 2014. I remember seeing it at the festival, at the Iris Prize Festival in 2015. Uh, then it had a very small cinema run because I saw it again in Cineworld in Canary Wharf. And I think you might have been with me. I'm not sure. Um, it's just a really simple story of this kid called leo he's 16 years old he's blind and he's beginning to want more independence his best friend geo uh, she's a girl she's happy with the status quo but when the new boy gabriel at school causes a rift in their friendship the emotions run high and new feelings are felt and it forces them all to re-examine themselves it is very low-key it is unflashy it's not very showy and it's just a really simple coming of age story a really simple romance no one's the victim least of all the blind kid even though he's getting bullied he's not the victim there's no disastrous coming out moment there's no melodramatic crying moment by a piano or anything there's no hiv or aids it's just a blind kid subtly trying to find more independence and be comfortable with who he is yeah and the only real bit of tension is that his friend who kind of helps him walk home from school sometimes she clearly is in love with him and yes. there is that that feeling of like oh god when she finds out she's going to be so upset and she like she is for about five minutes but then she's kind of okay with it <laughs> well she well yeah well i mean the film was running out so she had to hurry up <laughs> it's such a lovely film it's like a ray of sunshine i think it can be part of that that purple patch that you mentioned just very very early on because it doesn't deal with anything that we've kind of seen before it's it's it i mean i, I don't even think they say the word gay it's just oh, yeah. about 
a, a blind kid connecting with another guy who, you know, just happens to be a guy. And it really brings up themes of what it actually means to be attracted to the same sex. You know, it, it doesn't rely on the fact that Leo, the blind kid, he can't see Gabriel. So it, it really, you know, it doesn't rely on the, the visual nature being the only thing to connect them. Yeah, it's just very sweet. It's almost like it's almost like a Studio Ghibli film. The performances are really grounded, especially Gilherm Lobo, who plays Leo. Mm. And he's not blind in real life, but it's so convincing the way his mannerisms, the way the things he does with his face and his eyes and the way hmm. that his 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 physicality, it's it's really really convincing. I can't recommend this enough. That's The Way He Looks, directed by Daniel Ribeiro. And where can we watch that? I saw that on BFI Player, but you can buy the DVD, Blu-ray, or you can rent it on iTunes. Joshua, what's your third recommendation? My third recommendation is a Now TV slash Sky Movies uh, feature. It's called Can You Ever Forgive Me? It's directed by Marielle Heller, who did films like Diary of a Teenage Girl and I think it was this year or last year's A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood with Tom Hanks. And it stars Melissa McCarthy as Lee Israel, who uh, it's based on a true story. Lee Israel was a a best-selling biographer. So she wrote about celebrities like Tallulah Bankhead, Estee Lauder, uh, Catherine Hepburn. And in the 90s, she just couldn't sell a book. So she was basically, you know, living hand to mouth She's got this cat to look after. She's got a cat and she can't sell a book. And she happens upon this scheme because she's so good at emulating the voices of very famous people. She happens upon this scheme of forging letters by people like Noel Coward and selling them on to collectors for lots and lots of money. So she she lives with a cat. She's a writer. She can't sell a book. She's living hand to mouth. I am. Who are we talking about? (laughs) I may have slightly over identified with Lee Israel. Like maybe I should start writing like Buffy forgeries or (laughs) Yes, and such a public forum like this is the perfect place to give yourself a non alibi. This this marked Richard E. Grant's big comeback, didn't it? I feel like Richard E. Grant has made such a mark on the British cinematic landscape that he doesn't necessarily need to do anything unless it is just sort of worth him getting out of bed for yeah he did oh yeah he was in logan oh he He was was the doctor yeah he was just recently in rise of skywalker yes and also he did he did four episodes of the tv series girls in 2014 he was fantastic in that i've never watched that and i've never seen this but he was oscar nominated and he was loving being on the campaign and meeting Barbara Mm. Streisand. (laughs) Well, he basically plays a gay version of Withnail. Obviously, his most famous film is Withnail and I. Um, Uh And so it is kind of slightly that. But he's so good at it and he brings... I mean, it's the interplay between him and Melissa McCarthy is gold dust. He plays this elderly gay man who's a bit of a scallywag um kind of just somehow making his way through life don't really know how and him and uh lee israel basically go in together on this scheme because people start to get suspicious and so he ends up selling some of them for her and together they're just brilliant like it's such a it's such an emotional story you wouldn't necessarily think it would be 
you know some some parts of it are almost like a heist film where she goes and uh talks her way into an archive in order to steal a letter that she can use for some i can't remember why but she steals a letter um so even though it has those aspects it's so emotional and it's about people just struggling to survive melissa mccarthy is just transformed in this well she is such a brilliant brilliant actress sometimes she does those goofy comedies and people don't realize how good she is yeah well i mean it takes a lot of skill to be that funny (laughs) yeah but she can also she's not afraid of not wearing any makeup wearing a thick woolly cardigan and a scary wig um to turn into lee israel and she is so so good in it was it authorized by the real characters um i don't know actually i know that lee israel died sort of long before this was made but i think it's based on some i think it might be based on her autobiography it's based on something that she Mm -hmm. wrote you know the the title can you can you ever forgive me um is very much at the heart of what the film is about is she did this thing but you know we're trying to understand why she did it clearly it was a crime and she shouldn't have done that did she go to prison for it um I mean, the FBI investigates her, and that does happen in the film. Usually in these sort of stories, when the FBI investigate, they usually turn up and work for the FBI. Uh, yeah, exactly. No, she died in 2014, so I, I don't know if her estate had anything to say in, in the film. But What's the portrayal of the gay man like? I I loved it. It's kind of tragic. He's not a caricature. He's He doesn't play the victim. That's the thing. Even though he things happen to him and... He is somebody struggling to survive. He's not a victim. I don't think either of them really are. So the character um, is out. Oh yeah, completely out. Yeah. I mean, she's also gay. So right. it's 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 lovely to see two gay people of different genders having a friendship. But also, it has nothing to do with sexuality. I'm guessing this film. No, no, no. Well, exactly. No, that's that's why. I, like I typed into Now TV like gay films because they've got a Pride selection this month. Yeah. Um. And when Can You Ever Forgive Me came up, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Because it's not a gay story. It's just a story that happens to have gay characters in, which is great. That's how it should be going forward into the future, I think. For, I mean, for, for certain films, I mean, it's still relevant to have to tell the gay story or the lesbian story, the trans or the bi. Mm. But it's great that we can have these films where people just happen to be lgbtqi plus right exactly and it's not a big deal it's not like i'm a lesbian oh my god my third recommendation comes with a story years ago you know i used to watch television on a friday night and i'd be falling asleep and flicking through the channels and i always used to stumble across this this weird film and always at the same point there was like a man and a woman stood at the bottom of like an old school elevator and the elevator would be coming down and there'd be music and it sort of be just a a drum beat and the person in the elevator would be wrapped in a cloak and he'd have garish sort of black and whitish makeup on and he's tapping his foot and then he throws the elevator door open and the cloak comes off and I never knew what the film was until I got turned on to the Rocky Horror Picture Show directed by Jim Sharman. I had a feeling it might be that one. <laughs> You've obviously seen the Rocky Horror Picture oh, Show. Oh, love it. Love it. I've, I've watched it. I mean, I've, I've seen it a couple of times, but I probably haven't watched it for a couple of years. But it's. I think it's one of those films that the more you watch it, the more you love it. And that's probably why 
the cult has grown up around it because it really does just keep on giving. Yeah. So it's about newly engaged couple Jan and Brad. They're traveling to visit their old teacher, Dr. Scott. They met in his class at college, at university. The car breaks down and they happen upon a large house wanting to use the phone. And it's here where they meet a band of oddities welcoming them to a very special night. This is the night that the host, Frankenfurter, who's a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania, finally is going to infuse life into his Frankenstein-like creation, a blonde Adonis named Rocky. It's here that things get sexual and twisted. It's based on the original stage play written by Richard O'Brien, he of Crystal Maze fame. Mm, yes. It's gender bending. It's infused with classic horror and old school Hollywood. It's a punk rock musical. The film is a bit ragtag and a bit ropey and a bit wobbly, a bit low budget, a bit, you know, they really stretch themselves over the mark there. But it has an undeniable charm and it's unashamedly all over the sexuality and gender spectrum for a film that came out in the mid 70s it's really really ahead of its time oh yeah like it says so much about gender and identity and sexual awakening you know jan and brad don't have a sexual relationship until they turn up at this house and frankenfurter seduces them both <laughs> um, yeah it's it's such a unique like has there been anything like this since i don't think anyone's made no, anything I like it i don't think there has you know it's it is a pure underground midnight movie but it's so ingrained in the mainstream now yeah but that's the thing isn't it that it has become mainstream which is nuts it's become mainstream, but it still has its bite and edge. And yeah. not a lot of underground things that become mainstream can retain their bite. Mm. You know, after countless wedding party and hen party sing-alongs and however many newsreaders do the time warp on comic relief, <laughs> it's still, when you go back to well, it, what it actually is, it's still a really important piece of queer cinema i think the only thing that's come close is hedwig and the angry inch right is i think so in terms of yeah. musical but the rocky horror picture show has brilliant performances across the board you've got janet scott played by susan sarandon in an early yeah, yeah. now i think susan sarandon makes a brilliant janet pre-transformation post-transformation i don't think she's as good as some of the people i've seen on stage do it or on oh, recorded really? state you know cast recordings uh brad oh. majors is played by barry bostwick who'd go on to play the mayor in spin city <laughs> your favorite sitcom of the 90s <laughs> i love it riff raff played by richard o'brien who's the creator and he co-wrote the film frankenfurter played by the god tim curry who else who else? And Eddie, played by a pre-Bat Out of Hell Meatloaf, who yes. was in the original show as Eddie and Dr. Scott. Ah, I didn't know that. But um, Tim Curry was in the original show as well, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, so he... With, uh, I mean... Richard O'Brien, Tim Curry, and Meatloaf mm. were from the original cast. You just you just couldn't have Rocky Horror without Tim Curry. It's, it just wouldn't... I just don't think it would be the same... have the same legacy to it without him i can't think of anybody else who could have done it as well as him because there's so many layers to what he's doing it, he is very synonymous with that role and to be honest every time someone does it again on stage they're not playing 
Frankenfurter. They're playing yeah. Tim Curry playing Frankenfurter. Yeah. It's not like Batman where you can pick and choose which characteristics you're going to amplify because Frankenfurter is just Tim Curry. <laughs> exactly. You can't, yeah. you can't have one without the other. And do you know what is most impressive about him? For me, like watching it a couple of years ago for the first time in a while, that song, I'm Coming Home, is so emotional. Mm-hmm. Like it really like, it really hit me the last time I watched it. I couldn't believe how it hadn't touched me in that way before. You know, he's, he nails that real sense of like longing and emotion that whereas it's very camp towards the beginning when he sings i'm coming home oh my god just get tears in your eyes that was rocky horror picture show directed by jim Sharman. so joshua for this pride episode we're going to pick one film that meant something to us when we were growing up what's yours it has to be beautiful thing which is a 1996 British film directed by Hetty MacDonald and it's a Channel 4 film. It's uh, set around southeast London. It's about uh, teenager Jamie and he uh, is basically in love with his classmate Stee and it's been so long since I've seen it that I can't actually remember what the story is about. I just remember seeing one of their bums at one point and being very like, oh, because I saw this when I was like... I must have been 15, 14, 15 when I saw this. And I think it was the first thing I'd ever seen about gay teenagers. So I must have watched it around the same time. Yeah. And I never liked it. I never, I never connected with it. I always found it really, it, it just wasn't for me. It's very light and a bit fluffy. I haven't seen it probably in about 25 years. With it's, it's written by Jonathan Harvey and based on his own play. And he would go on to write Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. That makes sense. And Beautiful People. Yes, I love Beautiful People. I would really love to watch it again. I'm sure it would look quite dated now. But for me, as a gay teenager stuck in Suffolk, it was kind of revelatory. It was just like, oh, like two boys having a relationship. I should probably watch it again. It's been 25 years. I've been looking at it through sort of different eyes. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, maybe now I will connect with it more than I ever did. But I just couldn't see myself either being in that film or anything connected with my life wasn't represented mm, there. Yeah. I have a really vivid memory of Tamika Empson dressed up in, I think, her mum's clothes. And maybe she dragged up Jamie as well. I can't remember. I really can't remember. But it was um, that's one of my, my abiding memories is that. That was Beautiful Thing, directed by Hetty MacDonald. Prepping for this episode, I realised I didn't have an LGBTQ film to connect with when I was growing up. Because, like I said, Beautiful Thing didn't do anything for me. Get Real was funny and sweet, but I didn't connect to it. The Birdcage was sort of just a comedy. The big thing that I connected to in a big bad way was a TV show. And that's Queer as Folk. Yeah, that's the big one, isn't it? That's the thing that really was like... Oh my God, yeah. It was first broadcast in 1999 as an eight-part series and it details the lives of a group of gay men in contemporary Manchester. You've got Stuart, who's on the cusp of turning 30 and he's hypersexual and confident. Vince, he's 29, he's a lovable geek, he's been mates with Stuart since school and is completely in love with him. And then you've got Nathan, who's 15, dead proud of that. He's the newbie. (laughs) He's barely out the closet and he's eager to have it all and when I was a kid I just wanted to be 
Nathan so yeah. much. And I can so vividly remember switching on the first episode. I'd seen the trailers and I'd completely forgotten that it was going to be on. It was first broadcast <laughs> on the Tuesday and I just happened to switch the TV on during the Saturday night repeat. And it was the scene with Nathan and Stuart. And it was that mm. link. Rimming. <laughs> Rimming. The impact it had on TV was huge, but that's no match for the effect it had on so, so many young sort of little gay boys who were coming of age around that time of the new millennium. It made yeah. me want to be out so badly. And then in between episodes one and two, Stephen Gately came out. So it just oh. felt like such an amazing time in culture. I remember absolutely living for it and just really wanting Stuart and Nathan to like make it work, even though it was never going to happen. No, of course it could never happen. Yeah, I mean, he was 15, for God's sake. It's actually illegal. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. But yeah. it couldn't work because the whole point was that Stuart and Vince had to get together. And at the end of it, you know, spoilers, 21 years, they get together. I don't think we needed the two-part second series. The story was done for me. I hated the second series. I would never watch it. Was it was just again. pointless. It was yeah. obviously made to capitalise on the fact that series one or the, the original series was such a run a, runaway success. Didn't need the second se season, especially with the weird flying, spinning car thing at the end. Oh, I don't remember that. Like a grease ending. Yeah, kind of. The Jeep sort of becomes like a weird spaceship and oh. then zooms down Canal Street and then it zooms yeah. into the American Thelma and Louise landscape and then Vince, no, Stuart's got a gun. Did you ever watch the American version? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, did you? Oh, I never saw it. Yeah. It was really good. I mean, I, I didn't watch series one. It was. It used to be on UK Play over here oh. after the gay show with Gay Duck. Um, but <laughs> it never really aired much more after here. A, a, a new American reboot is in the works. He's over there now working oh, on it. If people haven't seen Queer as Folk yet, watch it. Some of it can be a bit dated because it is the 90s. Some of the acting is a bit ropey, but you can't deny that it is just this brilliant piece of television making and it's a brilliant time capsule but the themes are still relevant now it's timeless yeah that was torn stubbs recommend pride special our series on non-superhero comic book movies is currently available for streaming in all the right places and we've got more episodes of that coming very soon we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod. Let us know what your favourite Pride films are and if you've seen any of the ones that we talked about. We're off to Transsexual Transylvania. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut! <laughs>